Nielsen says that linear TV fell below half of July viewing. Is it right? Q2 2023 pay TV losses continue. Watching with subtitles is the default for many, and the Roku channel adds local Fox and CBS stations. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media at the beginning there. Hey, Colin, you are getting ready for the World Cup final. <laughs> I am indeed. The Lionesses are taking on the Spanish on Sunday morning. That's 3 a.m. for me, so I am going to be up in the middle of the night to watch them play and uh, I'm looking forward to a really great game hope it doesn't go to penalties like so many of these playoff games have but uh, the Lionesses are playing really well and I'm I'm very hopeful that they're going to be able to do what the men have been unable to do since 1966 so uh, this is going to be great really looking forward to it 3am Colin that's hardcore that is but it's totally worth it Awesome. All right. Well, we wish him luck. And uh, with that, I think we are ready to get started. We're doing an Around the Horn this week. We have four stories that caught our attention. And uh, you are, I think, going to get us started with the gauge data from Nielsen that you uh, were looking at closer this week. I was. And uh, this was widely reported in the press, Will. And basically, the the Nielsen press release makes the statement, linear TV falls below 50% according to their July 2023 report. And how they came up with this statement was, I'm sure our readers are familiar with the gauge that they keep an eye on that pie, pie chart that Nielsen publishes every month and they published they just published july and so what they have done here is they've added broadcast and cable to represent the linear tv and streaming and other to represent other i guess you know mostly streamed sources and uh, they've made this statement that linear tv has fallen below 50 percent for the first time and uh, this, uh, this was picked up widely. And I will tell you, Will, the moment I saw this, I thought, wait a minute, you can't make that statement based on the gauge. And the reason I immediately thought you can't is because they use the word linear TV and they're using that to represent the traditional TV side of the things, which is broadcast and cable. And as we know... Linear TV is not confined to that medium, uh, those mediums alone. And in fact, looking at the way Nielsen breaks down the streaming side of things, it says that Pluto TV is 0.9%, that Roku channel is 1.1%, Peacock 1.1%, Tubi 1.4%. All of those services have a varying amount of linear TV available. Pluto, of course, is primarily linear. And they, as I say, Roku Channel, 2B and Peacock, they all have linear channels. And incidentally, so does Paramount Plus, which is also at 1%. So all in all, if you were to add a percent or two to the linear side, it would still represent 
more than a half. So (laughs) I'm not quite sure what Nielsen is trying to say here with this, but what they can't say is that linear TV represented less than half. I should also say the reason it is such a confusing statement is that even on the, quote, linear TV half that is broadcast and cable, Nielsen is lumping in DVR usage, which is not linear usage. What they should have said, I think, is that broadcast sources, traditional broadcast sources, rather, represented less than 50% of viewing, delivered 50% of viewing in July. But that's not what they did say. And I think what they said has led to a lot of confusion in in the media. I know that Evan Shapiro seems to hold my view that they really shouldn't have said linear TV. Uh, Daniel Frankel, um, he had a lot of questions about the gauge, as as I, in fact, do as well. But anyway, that was what was reported in the news. And I think that our listeners should take that statement with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I I hear you, Colin. When I look at the press release that Nielsen put out, I uh, I think that they it seems like they mis maybe mislabeled the headline relative to the pie chart. Which I agree with you. The pie chart it seems like what it's saying is that broadcast TV and cable TV, broadcast TV networks and cable TV networks combined to have just less than 50% of, uh, of viewing time. And that, that alone is the headline. It's not, it's not, as you said, it can't be extrapolated to be all of linear TV because there are other linear TV sources, but that that alone is what their data is saying. Yeah. And, and this is, I see this so much, Will, that people in our industry are constantly conflating the distribution means, that is, whether it's streaming or traditional, with the format in which it's being distributed. And we've got to get over this because it just ends up causing confusion. And in this case, on-demand and linear viewing is occurring on both sides of the equation. And you, so you, you, it's, it's simply not the case that you can add broadcast and cable and claim that that's, quote, all linear TV viewing. It's just it's just factually incorrect. So I yeah. think you're right. I think that was a poorly chosen title uh, and something that I, I would hope that they would have regretted using, that they could have been much more precise in their language. I should say that I generally, I have a problem with the gauge. I'm not quite sure how Nielsen is calculating the gauge. And my problems actually stem back from when Nielsen corrected the gauge. They've been double counting virtual MVPDs. Um, They've been counting them both on the broadcast side, broadcast and cable side, and on the streaming side, the minutes that people were spending with those. And when they made that change, things moved around on the gauge that shouldn't have changed. And I tried to get clarification from Nielsen and they were unable to provide what I considered a coherent reply. I did have quite a long conversation with Brian Fuhrer on this and uh, we couldn't I, I, we couldn't reach agreement. I couldn't understand uh, 
how what change change but anyway if people are interested i have a i'll include a link with my posting of this piece uh, to the piece that i wrote back in march about my specific criticism of this but uh, anyway I think people should be looking a little bit carefully at the gauge data, Will. Uh, I would be less less trustful of that data than I think the industry is at the moment. Um, I just think there's a lot of questions about how Nielsen is, is calculating that. And uh, you'll find that also from Daniel Frankel's article, article this week. He's asking the same thing on, uh, yeah, the same things. Yeah, I, I, and I would echo what you're saying that I think there's an even broader point that sometimes in our industry, headlines can sometimes be a little bit misleading relative to the underlying data. And we've, I think, both seen that and called that out over the years and uh, try to add a little bit of a note of caution here on Inside the Stream yeah. to the best extent that we can. Yeah, I have to say that's one of my favorite things, Will. I love to, <laughs> I love it when I see a title uh, to a, a piece and I just think, no, that can't be right. And I love digging <laughs> into the data. So this has been a fun week for me. I love looking at that stuff. But anyway, that's our first piece. What caught, uh, what, what caught your eye? What's the second piece that we're going to talk about today? Yeah, what uh, caught my attention this week, Colin, there was an article in the New York Times actually that led to a couple of um, data sources about how prevalent it's become for, uh, this is just looking at American TV viewers, to watch with subtitles on. And um, part of that is related to streaming and the fact that audio quality is uh, not as good coming in via streaming than it is coming uh via broadcast and cable where there are some federal standards in place that don't apply to uh, streaming, but um, also related to the um, you know, prevalence of big screen TVs that don't have the same quality of speakers and if you don't have a sound bar in place. so um, And that's before even getting to international content, foreign language content, where subtitles are even more important. But uh, but generally speaking, about half. So the Times had quoted a source as um, saying that 50% of Americans watch content with subtitles most of the time, and over half, 55%, saying it's harder to hear dialogue in shows and movies than it used to be, um, and another 62% saying they use subtitles more on streaming services than on regular TV. There was also, we found a um, survey from YouGov that found that 38%, so less than half, but 38% preferred to watch with subtitles on. And interestingly, it skewed much more to younger viewers wanting to have subtitles on. Uh, those 18 to 29 years old, um, 63% preferred to watch with subtitles on. Um, compared with just 20, uh, sorry, with just the 30% of 65 and older viewers. So anyway, that just caught my attention. I, I actually, part of why it caught my eye is that I tend to watch when I stream, I tend to watch with subtitles on, not all the time, but much of the time. Um, I do find it oftentimes harder to uh, follow in, in streaming. Um, and that audio quality issue is definitely an issue that I have. Don't 
use the subtitles all the time, but I do find it often. How about you? Do you do you watch with subtitles at all? Or? I, I generally don't, um, except, of course, when I'm watching f- foreign content, foreign language content. And I've been thinking about this since we looked at this data, Will, and I wonder if this is a facet of the fact that many shows now are produced with surround sound in mind. So, you know, things like Dolby Atmos and DTS. And I wonder if in converting those to sort of more straight on stereo, that in that conversion, that's where some of the the audio, particularly the dialogue, gets suppressed a little bit. I'm trying to think I was watching Star Trek's uh, Strange New Worlds last night in surround sound. And there was only a couple of times when I struggled a little bit to hear where there was a lot of noise in the scene going on. And I feel like it's harder when I'm just listening to the TV. So I'm, I've sort of made a mental note to reach out to Dolby and to reach out to the folks at Xperry DTS and, and ask them about how that process happens and, and, and how, how you can lift the audio uh, quality and the volume, actually, of the speech. Um, but I also wonder if this is a facet of the fact that we are we're just watching a lot of a lot more foreign content now. Will yeah, I know that sometimes yeah. when I'm watching like Extraordinary Attorney Wu, which I really enjoy on Netflix, that obviously the subtitles are on and and they remain on sometimes when I watch something else on English. And I think maybe people were doing that and suddenly realizing well, it's kind of useful to have have it on when you're listening to English anyway, because then you then you have the answer to what he say. You've already got right. it right there, right underneath. So maybe people, that's how people are discovering that right. having the subtitles on can be helpful anyway. That might be right. And again, referencing the YouGov survey, um, when they asked uh, people who use subtitles why they do so, enhanced comprehension and helps to understand accents were the two most cited reasons by 40% of, um, of viewers. So I think, I think you're onto something for sure. Yeah, I, I, and I tell you what, the, as I watched Star, Star Trek Stranger Worlds last night, I flipped back to the TV speakers at the end of the show. It's quite stunning, the change in quality when you do that. It's, it really is the TV speakers that, you know, that they provide these days really a very poor at delivering yeah. an immersive an experience and you really do need that sound bar or that surround sound system i think to get the full the full experience uh, so Agreed. yeah that's Agreed. but that's interesting I, i'll have to start putting the subtitles on a little more and see if they help out help us out with those what do you say moments yeah well let's go on to our next uh, story colin which you have which is no surprise, the pay TV losses up again. They were indeed, Will. And uh, I loved uh, Bruce, Bruce Leishman. He does such a great job in keeping track of what's going on with the traditional pay TV operators. It's such a chore going through all of the different sites and all of the different services. And his data says that 1.73 million people left the major TV providers in the second quarter of 2023. Now, Bruce's numbers don't include everybody. He says he he gets coverage of about 96%. And he also lumps in 
some of the virtual MVPD gains or, or losses with the with the providers and and actually uh, when I look at the data will uh, the top three virtual MVPD providers are definitely major providers now in the United States so if you look at the data uh, YouTube TV is the fifth biggest and Sling TV is the ninth biggest provider and Hulu is actually uh, fifth, sixth, it looks like it's the sixth biggest provider in the US now uh, of the big bundle. Now, I, I want to break it out a little bit because I think it's, it's really interesting to see the components here. Uh, by my calculations, cable satellite and telco TV lost about 2.3 million subscribers in the quarter. That is a huge <laughs> loss. That's a 3.7% decline in one quarter. Uh, which is, as I say, a very, very big loss. Virtual MVPDs did a little better, but there's a sort of question mark here. By my calculations, virtual MVPDs actually picked up about 300,000 subscribers, two or 300,000 subscribers in the quarter. But the reason it's a question mark is this. Um, Sling TV and Hulu, Hulu Live, we know what happened there, Disney told us. Uh, and the companies told us they both lost a little bit but we never hear YouTube TV specifically so that data is based on sampling um, so you ask people what services they're using and they're looking at the increases there and Bruce estimates that uh, for, uh, YouTube TV has 5.9 million subscribers I saw estimates from Lightshed that said 6.6 .6 million um, I, so I sort of took a consensus between the two and said 6.3. Um, but anyway, the virtual MVPDs did increase a little bit, by, by, but by my calculations, they picked up only about 10% of the people that cancelled. So anyway, big loss. And if you look at the big bundle, that is those people that still have traditional pay TV or virtual MVPD, well, that's a big, the big bundle is losing a lot of subscribers. Uh, by my calculations, the big bundle now has lost 8 million homes over the last 12 months and, uh, you know, 2 million homes uh, in the last quarter. So the number of people that traditional TV can reach is really going going down very fast but by my calculation 76 million homes still have access to the big bundle uh, and that leaves oh uh, there was a what 130 million homes occupied homes in the u.s so that's a lot of homes that don't have access to the big bundle anymore will yeah and um q2 of course traditionally is a softer quarter in uh, the pay tv world there are a lot of college students and moves and things like that It'll be interesting to see what Q3 ends up looking like. And as we talked about on a prior podcast, um, we're curious whether how the NFL is going to have an impact potentially with um, YouTube TV now having the rights to Sunday night, uh, to Sunday ticket, and um, whether that maybe moves up the numbers at all. We'll have to see. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, Will, because it's not only the sports factor, 
But it's the strike factor as well. The writer and actor strike has really impacted the fall season. And so really, I, I was looking uh, on a couple of sites to try and figure out which shows were impacted, which shows were not. A, a lot of stuff that people look forward to in the fall is not going to be showing up. You are not going to see late night, uh, late night the, the late night comedians interview shows. You're not going to see those. A lot of second seasons uh, and new seasons of new, uh, new stuff, new dramas are not going to show up. So really, this amplifies, I think, the value of NFL and and other sports yeah. that come online in, in the second half of the year. So it'd be really interesting to see how that impacts pay TV. And, uh, of course, a lot of these sports now are available on streaming services too. So I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the second half of the year. Yeah, and I've read a couple of articles also about how the strikes are in some ways helping viewers who are feeling overwhelmed by the sheer volume of original content to now catch up a little bit to kind of catch their breath and and not have to worry about new series or new uh, seasons coming on, but rather to catch up on what's out there already. So that phenomenon may continue on as well. Um, one last story this week, Colin, that I think also relates here is that uh, this week Roku announced um, 40 linear, new linear channels um, becoming available on the Roku channel. Uh, I think perhaps most significantly are all the local, not all, but um, local news uh, stations from CBS News and Fox. Uh, the, those are, I think, all O&O stations. But uh, across lots and lots of different markets across the U.S. And, of course, um, you know, there's been, with cord cutting, a lot of impact on local news because people, um, for the most part, uh, if you don't have an antenna, were getting their local stations through their pay TV operators. So now we're seeing a whole slew of local channels now become available through the Roku channel, and um, I would think that that's going to be really beneficial for um, folks that maybe have given up the cord and uh, but still have a loyalty to their local news channels and want to follow what's happening locally. I, I completely agree, Will, and this is <laughs> this is an interesting phenomenon. Um, I I took a look. One of my one of the services I keep an eye on is a service called Local Now. And Local Now has really focused on the local TV operators. So I think the majority, as you say, the majority of the stations um, that you'll find on the Roku channel that just got added are owned and operated. That, that is their network-owned local TV stations. Uh, local Now has a lot of the affiliates. And, you know, it was interesting because the way this was reported, I saw, was that Roku, the Roku channel became the first uh, first provider to have at least one O and O station from each of the four broadcasters. But if you go to local now, there are a ton of affiliates from all of the different uh, all of the broadcasters as well. So you've got pretty good uh, coverage there on local now. Uh, the other thing that hit me about this is I looked at the stations that all got added, and as usual. They comprised mostly 
DMAs that are major metropolitan areas. Yeah. So if you live in New York or LA or the San Francisco Bay Area or your area, Boston, you got lots of choice. But if you live in Zanesville, Ohio, forget it, man. Your, <laughs> your local Wiz, I think it's Wiz TV is the NBC affiliate in that area in Zanesville, Ohio. Finding that channel, you're probably not going to find it. So it's not got really local, but it's at least it's getting in most of the major metropolitan areas that are now available on um, on services like the Roku channel, which is great to see. Um, obviously, a big step up, and that makes me think. Well, I wonder if we can will be able to attribute a lot more political advertising in 2024, which is of course is a presidential election year. I wonder if we'll be attributing a lot more of that. A lot more of that will go to the streaming platforms just because that they're providing their news feeds, which, of course, are covering local elections just as they would be on their normal feeds. So could get interesting in 2024. This could accelerate the growth in CTV ads. Yeah, I think that's right. Although I don't know how material it's going to be, Colin, but um, but it seems like the trend is in that direction uh, to the extent that we see more streaming of local news channels um, and the local news channels by the way have been active in streaming themselves outside of you know these kind of dis- distribution relationships they've been um, streaming also and uh, so yeah it'll be you know it's an election year coming so things are going to shuffle around no doubt yeah yeah and and just one note just um, so that everybody's absolutely 100 percent clear here the feeds that the local TV channels are putting on these fast services are, are they're not simulcasts of their broadcast channel. They are they're programming their assets, the assets that they produce to create these channels. You won't find Jeopardy or Saturday Night Live or any of the dramas that are typically provided. They also provide in their television broadcast yeah. signals. Uh, those they do not have the right to provide. So. It's really focused right. on the local content that they produce that you'll find in those. But uh, you should check on them out. On local news. Yeah, you, on yeah. local news. On local news, Colin. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Well, we've covered a ton of ground here, uh, Colin. So I don't know anything else to add from your side. I don't think so, Will. I think uh, we should slide into the weekend from here. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to start resting up for that 3 a.m. wake up call. I do. Okay, Colin, good chatting, and thanks everybody for listening in, and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of In Screen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.